Hello, and welcome to Alone in the Boondocks. My name is Andrew. And my name's Krebs. Um, and this week, uh, you know, a lot happened. I, I shouldn't say week because we're doing really poorly in terms of uh, recording this weekly podcast <laughs> as a weekly podcast. Hey, we put um, out we put out two episodes like in one, within that's true within one day of each other. So yeah. let's 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 pat ourselves on the back for once, and then you know, sure, lots Credit of content. Where credits do we're due yeah. some credit. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, some stuff happened this week, and I feel like that's the most general statement. Um, I have admittedly been uh, trying to reduce anxiety and and limit the amount of time that I spend uh, reading the news, Uh, and that's been paying off in spades, Uh, but this week we did have um, uh, a return to normalcy in America, and we had two mass shootings within uh, a week of each other. and it's really kind of depressing that that's a return to normalcy. And I, by really kind of depressing, I mean that's a cultural tragedy that that's like normalcy in America. Like a sign that a sign that the easing of COVID is occurring is the fact that people are murdering each other again. Yep. So I don't know how we deal with that. Um, but we do want to talk about um, a topic that is a little bit uh, more directly personal this this uh, episode, and we're going to talk specifically about uh, because this is a, you know a question that we get from our friends who don't live in um, you know such rural areas is how do you become a leftist living where you do? Um, you know, most of the folks in our neighborhoods ninety I won't say ninety five percent I'll say ninety percent I think that my county um, was ninety percent. Trump voters. Um, mine's mine's he, definitely not far from that. Yeah, I'm not sure of the number, lower. but but if it's slightly lower, lower, it's like eighty six percent. Yeah. Um, so people wonder how you can live in this area, how you can uh, grow up in this culture, and become a leftist. Like that's uh, it, it doesn't seem like a natural progression, except for I mean, I guess the theme that I would characterize for my youth at least was uh you know an incredible amount of displeasure growing up around here with the mindsets that we saw and and with the belief systems that we saw um and that isn't to say that we weren't ourselves engaged in those mindsets uh um or 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 toxic bigotry ourselves i absolutely was a bigot in a lot of ways that I thought was just funny, right? Like we made, we made a lot of gay jokes because we were straight white rural kids who had never experienced, uh, outward homosexuality for it to be normalized for us. Nor was there, uh, an, uh, an outspoken ally around us who was saying like, you know, examine why it, it makes you feel uncomfortable to think about a man kissing another man, like consider why that makes you want to giggle. Um, no one challenged us like that for a long time. And, and it wasn't until, you know, I was nearing adulthood probably that those things became, uh, that I was able to reflect on those. So we just want to talk about those things, uh, this week. And, um, 
Yeah, it could be a big snooze fest because we're basically just going to talk about our lives and um, not necessarily, you know, enormous issues uh, that concern, you know, the nation or the world or even the state. Um, this is just a talk about Andrew and Kreps and how they uh, went from the, the kids they were to the, the people they are today. To the uh, somewhat kind of adults we are. You're more of an adult than I am, but. Why? Why should am I more of an adult have a, than you are? Give you a kid. Yeah, I know, but I also work in a school. Like, I never left school. Yeah, no, you went back to school. That makes you more of an adult. I Why? left school and was like, I'm never going back to school ever again. Well, to be honest, that's what I said, too. And just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> Coming this summer. Yeah. That sounds like... Uh, I'm fairly certain that stupid movie where Kevin James is a teacher who has to fight... Ice Cube? It's called Here Comes the Boom. No, you're getting okay. me, you're getting your movies mixed up. That's Charlie Day and Ice Cube in a movie oh. called like School Fight or something like that. Oh. It's not well, called School Fight. Okay. I don't know what it's called, but you're thinking of Here Comes the Boom where Kevin James is a school teacher and has to go back. He's like a school teacher, but then he's like also an MMA fighter too. Did they actually train Kevin James to MMA fight for that movie? I, I'm sure they did. I'm pretty sure in real life Kevin James is also friends with Joe Rogan, who is a yeah. mixed martial arts guy. So, like, I imagine Kevin James, who else? I'll come out and say it. I'll, I'll oust myself on this podcast. I think Kevin James is funny. Wow. That's a, uh, a brave and provocative stance to take. There's also a great – he just did a movie where he plays a serious role, and I think it's called – Molly, where he plays a uh, a neo-Nazi who breaks out of prison, and um, it's actually just a great movie. You should watch it. I uh, I will take your word for it, and I'll check that out. But I I will I will, I'm going to take this stance. I think Kevin James is a hack. I think he's a hack fraud. I don't think he, I don't I don't think there's anything funny about him. All right, I think the only funny. All right, let's move on. We don't thing, need to, we got nothing I, else to talk about here. I think I think the only funny thing about Kevin James is that uh, when he was shooting uh, King of Queens. He sometimes hung out with Patton Oswalt. I think that's about the only funny thing about Kevin James. Okay. Well, I'm not saying every movie that Kevin James is is in is comedy gold, but he's funny. I'm just discovering something. I never realized that you were a Kevin James fanatic. Just I, absolutely okay. number one Kevin James biggest fan. Whatever. I'll send him this. I don't care. And he'll uh, see it. Do you think he'd, he'd uh, do a guest spot on the show? I hope so, just so you have to swallow every word you just said. If Kevin James comes on this show, I will apologize, one, and then two, go through his entire IMDb page with him and make him explain every decision he made in roles that he took. I can that's, tell you probably 75% of those. Money. Yeah, probably. I mean, they didn't, do, they didn't make a second zookeeper, so that's good, I guess. Do you think they're going to do a Paul, Paul Blart Mall Carp? Three. Plard, what is, blard, he a, blard, is he? A, is he? Is he a fish now that rides a Segway? Yeah. Plard, blard, blard, blard. It's underwater. Um. Anyway. Um. So I want to. I want to touch on something. Um. That that is happening. Um. With and I, I'm not even going to say his name, but. Um. The piece of human garbage who shot up the massage parlors in Georgia last week. Um. I was reading a, about him and about what happened, um, and there were there were things about his experience that struck me. 
Um, and, and again, this is not a person who I would say I have much in common with at all. Um, but one of the characterizing features about this guy was that uh, he was from a very religious background, um, evangelical Christians. And again, nothing that I am saying is um, indicative of who evangelical Christians are. I know some evangelical Christians who are like the most progressive, accepting, forward-thinking people that I, I know of. Um, that being said, again, as we've stated before, eight in 10 evangelical Christians voted for Donald J. Trump. Uh, most of those supported him enthusiastically. Were there some people who were dragging their feet who only voted for him based on uh, the pro-life stance? Yes, absolutely. Does that justify it? No, not particularly, not for me. Not not one bit. Um so so I was reading about him, this guy, and uh you know, grew, very very religious background, which I did I did not have in my home. My I mean, I was raised in a Christian home. Um my grandmother was very religious. Um my uncle became very religious. Um but my mom, uh, our relationship with church was kind of like, I feel like once every year and a half, my mom would be like, we're going to start going to church more often. And we would start attending church more often. And then it just kind of, um, I was not a good church going kid. Um, I believed everything I was told. I believed in the gospel. I believed in the Bible. Um, I believed what my preacher said to be true, but you know, it's Sunday morning and I just stayed up late Saturday night, probably playing video games with you. Right. Crackdown number uh, one, listening to Bob O'Reilly on repeat by the who while playing crackdown on at the Xbox 360. Yeah. Um, now this is probably, I guess, earlier in my life than that, that this was, you know, a, a, a characterizing feature of what, um, what my weekends looked like, but eventually probably, you were probably playing odd world or something like that. Stranger's yeah, wrath. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Or some um, GameCube game that nobody's ever heard of. Shut up. The GameCube is a treasure. Okay, a little discs. Um, but eventually, eventually my mom would, uh, you know, get sick of fighting us to get out of bed and go to church. Um, you know, and we'd skip a Sunday and then go back the next. And then we'd skip two Sundays and then go back the next. And eventually we would just fall out of rhythm with church. We wouldn't be going to church anymore. And, and that cycle just kind of repeated itself. Uh, and I'm generalizing to say like every year and a half that cycle occurred, but that's basically what it was. So, um, I am not stating that my religious background and this psychopaths, and I don't even know that I want to call him a psychopath. Cause I feel like that gives him an out, um, that removes culpability because it implies that his brain literally couldn't understand the consequences of what he was doing. Um, uh, but he was super, super religious and, and the religion in my life came from, um, youth groups. When I was in sixth grade, some of my friends who were part of, um, a really non-traditional church youth group, like what my, by non-traditional, I mean like the churches that I grew up in, like, um, you stood up and you said the apostles creed and you said the Lord's prayer and you sang hymns, um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, every once in a while, a person would wear jeans to church, right? The, the, these kids. The, Blasphemy! Got, no jeans! Only khakis! These uh, youth groups that I got involved in were like, uh, 
you would play a game. Okay, so one of the youth groups I was in was literally called Extreme Club. Yeah, you could. It was so extreme you could wear jorts to it. Yes, you could wear jorts, and we often did wear jorts, like the cool and, jorts, like the carpenter jorts that had like the little extra piece you oh, could yeah. slide a hammer in. Yeah, old old, old navy painter pants. Yeah, or the zip offs yeah. where you could be like. I think it's a little cold in here in this church. And then you get running around with your friends and you're like, guess what, guys? I also brought shorts. Zip. The spirit of Jesus just has has my blood running hot. I got to take, I got to remove half of these pants. And then inevitably you lose the legs to them and then they're full-time shorts. Right. Now, I don't think I ever had any zip-off pants. The the youth leader frequently wore zip-off pants. Wow. Um, yeah. 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 Anyway. Did uh, he also wear a backwards so, visor? <laughs> no. No, he did wear a visor, though. Sometimes I can, um, how many bowling shirts did he have? Was every one of his shirt, at least a button up? No, they, either, were often okay. just, they, Sorry. they were oversized t-shirts. I was just saying it's either button up shirt, short sleeve button up or graphic tees from like target that say like NASA or mellow no, yellow. None of them were, no, Dr. they Pepper. were all like, no, would, I don't remember. They were always like, uh, um, benefit shirts or like uh, apple butter cook off 94 or something like that. I don't know. Um, but anyway, the youth group was, you go, you play a game, you eat a snack, and then there's generally, uh, you know, a message, a sermon, um, where you as participants, as Christian children, you know, would be encouraged to interact with whatever the topic was. Um, you could request prayers and then there was worship. And this was the weirdest thing for me growing up in more traditional, uh, Protestant churches was you, when we sang, when we worshiped, you stood up, you opened the hymnal. Uh, you know, one of the churches I went to had a, had a pipe organ, you know, uh, the, the, the pipist, the organist, uh, you know, played the accompaniment to the hymn and you sang a hymn. And then the preacher said, you may be seated. And you sat down afterwards, uh, praise and worship with this youth group was like, like the first time I saw it happen, I was so like, and I don't remember the first time that vividly, but I was uncomfortable with this format of praise and worship, probably for the length of the time I was in this youth group, um, where a lot of what they did was like raising their hands, which I couldn't understand why they were doing that. Right. Yeah. To get closer to God guy. Come on. You should know that. Well, no, I get like, and I, but the thing is I never asked the question. I was never like, why do you, you raise your hands and why do you close your eyes? And why do you, uh, you know, why, why do you do these things? I just, yeah, eventually it was like that. I, I was in this culture now and I was realizing that, you know, ritualistically what these people are doing is, stretching their bodies out to embrace God or the Holy Spirit or Jesus Christ in a way that you would a literal physical manifestation of a person in front of you who you loved and hadn't seen in a long time. Um, Do you always close your eyes when you give somebody a hug? <laughs> I guess, no, no, I guess I didn't. I'm a, I'm an open eye hugger. Are you? Yeah. You just, do you try to make eye contact during a hug? I haven't. And I haven't given a okay. lot of hugs in COVID times. But I yeah. will be now making eye contact hugs from now on. That seems weird because I feel like most of the time when you hug, your head kind of goes over the other person's shoulder. And if you're making eye contact, either you are insisting they turn their head and you're turning your head, or you're like craning your neck backwards and then your face is weirdly close to theirs. Hey, you are uh, currently double dosed on vaccines. I currently I will be vaccined for my first dose on April 8th. You mm. might be my first eye contact hug. 
All right, sounds good. Counting down the days. Um, so, so this type of worship made me uncomfortable, but I did really enjoy. I shouldn't say enjoy. Like I challenged myself to read my Bible, um, and again, I I accepted it as a hundred percent truth. Um, I accepted what the youth leader was telling us as a hundred percent truth, um, and I recognized, you know, quote unquote, sinful struggles in my own life. And when one of those things was, you know, I was a teenage boy. Uh, I liked girls. I thought they were very attractive. So frequently at youth group meetings, when there would be prayer requests, I would be like, I'm really struggling with, I'm really struggling with lust. Uh, please, you know, pray for me. Um, and you know, occasionally too, I'd be like, I've been very prideful. I'm, you know, a narcissist. Please pray for me. You know, yada, yada. And this was, I mean, we were a bunch of tone deaf, white rural kids, who, you know, believed that they had found the the core truth of the universe, um, you know, and, and, and in order to access that truth in full, then we had to be aspiring to be more Christ-like or the Christ, at least, that the youth leader described to us uh, and, you know, cherry-picked cherry Bible verses for us. So um, all of this to say uh, the shooter in Georgia – was so sure of his faith, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, he is a self-described sex addict, that he said he, he sought to kill these women who worked at massage parlors, these Asian women, um, because he believed that they were massage parlors where um, they would be uh, performing hand jobs. You could just say um, happy endings. I think that's the PC term. Is that the PC term? I don't know. I feel like that's the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, gross, gross dude term. I don't I, know. I think the gross, dude, the gross dude term is rub and tug. Yes, that is grosser. <laughs> that is grosser. Um, he was so sure of his faith. Uh, and he was so deluded to think. And again, I don't know. I, I would never assume that any place is a you know, uh, a, a secret. I don't know. Does that classify as a brothel? I don't know. I don't want to, I don't understand. I'm sex positive, but, th but also like, it seems, uh, like not a thing I'm interested in. And also, uh, I thought you were, I thought you were O positive. I thought that was your blood type. Yeah. Yeah. I am O positive. Um, are you actually O positive? I am actually O positive. Oh, they man. put that on the alone in the boondocks wiki page. Yeah. You are B positive. I am. I don't know, actually, and I really should. I'm 30 years old. Hey. I don't know what my blood type is. That's not good. It's actually just maple syrup. Okay. I'll keep and, that in mind. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, my point being, this, you know, absolute assuredness of his faith and uh, this, um, you know, belief that, 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 the world around him is evil and sinful and, um, you know, naturally in need of judgment led him to do what he did. Um, I would also state probably racism factored in here for sure. And I would also state probably a, a, a good helping of just um, white privilege factored in here for sure. Um, but in the people that were interviewed about this guy, they said, you know, he was the nicest guy and he, he led movie nights at his church for the, for the youth groups. And like, he was 21 years old. Um, 
they all described him so, so rosily. And towards the end of my time in youth group, that is how the people in my youth group would have described me as well. They would have said, you know, you know, Drew's a good guy and, you know, he, he really knows his scripture or he, um, can re- I don't know. I mean, they would, they never would have said I was good at prayer. They never would have said I was very comfortable with worship. What I was comfortable with was trying to relate scripture to life. Um, but what that became in my public life, in my life at school, in my interactions with peers was homophobia, transphobia, misogyny, um, uh, a general misunderstanding and simplification of incredibly complex issues like uh, uh, the right to abortion, like reproductive rights. Um, it even got to the point that I was passing judgment on peers who were in committed relationships with each other who I knew were sexually active. And that was something that I was allowed to judge them based on because I was in the church, because I understood Christianity, because I read my Bible, because I had a relationship with my youth pastor, because I knew the truth to the universe. And I've been reading a lot about um, about what people are describing as spiritual deconstruction, which is not the same as like losing faith necessarily. Um, but it is something where you realize, and, and, and again, this wasn't an overnight thing. I, I have for many years not been that person that I was in high school. But, you know, living now in the community that I grew up in, again, the a lot of the relationships that I could have had with people uh, of my, my peerage, uh, I will always have a sense of shame working with these people. I can't tell you how many times, and I don't mean other leftists. I mean people who I don't necessarily even know the politics of, but I do know that they're human beings who are imbued with natural dignity, and I dehumanized them. Um, now, again, I, I want to state I don't think I, – I wasn't screaming at people in the hallways and calling them whores, you know. And I, I wasn't, uh, you know, telling people to turn from their evil ways. But um, the people who I disapproved of knew I – the people who I disapproved of knew I disapproved of them. Um, and I it, – it's, it's not – it always strikes me when we and we we talked about this, I think, in the last episode where I said that it's so strange to me that evangelical Christians have selected the least Christ-like candidate that they could conceivably find in Donald Trump, the, the person who is most unlike Jesus Christ. And that is who they've elevated and that is who they have put on a pedestal and that is who they have, in some cases, pretty blatantly just worshipped. Yeah, they um, give him that whole Christ-like like power like that is their savior donald trump will save them from the left who's trying to brainwash their kids and take the cop out of paw patrol and right yeah and it is it is i mean and that was that what you just said right the these getting rid of dr seuss and mr potato head and blah 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 all of these issues that are part of the outrage cycle of the right were not things that happened 
because of people on the left pushing for them. <laughs> they just happened, right? The the Seuss Foundation decided to remove those six books because they believed they were in bad taste, right? That's funny because um, I think it was the left that did it. I think they were and that, like, and that's And that's, if you listen to Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity, uh, or if Rush Limbaugh were still kicking around today, we're glad he's uh, not. <laughs> um, then you know the narrative you would hear is you know the left did this, the left did this. It's setting up this straw man. And so much of my Christianity, so much of my uh, evangelism was based on a straw man idea of who my peers were, because those same sins that I said they were guilty of, I was committing as well. If they are sins, right? Um, it, 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 the lust, the pride, all of those things. I was still doing all of those things, but I was different because I had a serious relationship with Jesus Christ and that made it different and that made it okay. And that justified my actions. And it's not to say that I didn't still, still feel human guilt for it, right? There was still always this undertone of seeking justice, despite the fact that what I was supposed to be about was grace. Um, you know, that's the whole thing. Jesus's thing wasn't walking around and telling, you know, prostitutes that they were doing the wrong thing. He, he washed their feet. Um, so regardless of where my, my belief system is today, if there's anything, uh, exemplary to be taken from the Bible, it is the literal example of Jesus Christ who was, a socialist, number one, number one, pretty blatantly. How dare you say uh, that? I know. I'm sorry. He was also definitely not a white person. How dare uh, you say that? I know. I know. Uh, and he also, despite, you know, thinking that he was literally God, uh, was not terribly judgmental of people who he would have prescriptively said were sinners. Um, in, in, in fact, what he did was preached love, was preached peace. Um, he also preached, you know, hardcore uh, conformance to, to uh, religious doctrine, but uh, it, it, the other two were really the, 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 big, the big message, uh, and for whatever reason, evangelicals seem to gloss over that. So um, all of that is to say that part of um, my awakening as a leftist. And I, and I can't say I would have graduated high school and, and I, I don't know that I even would have used the term leftist at that point for anything. And in my head, you know, the dichotomy of politics was conservative or liberal. Right. And I would have called myself graduating high school, a liberal. Um, I had fallen out of most of the trappings of that very restrictive faith. Um, a lot of the friendships that I had made with within that youth group, within that group, you know, now did not think that I was, you know, walking the right path any longer. And it's interesting because when I look at what it was that they didn't like that I was doing, it was things like not wearing the, do you remember when they did the, um, the anti-abortion protest in high school and people like put tape on their mouths for a day? Yeah, I think I do. I think I remember that a little bit. Yeah, I only um, went to school half day because I went to vote tech. So like I didn't, right. I didn't get the big, and I went to class with all the same kids too. Like I was always with the yeah. vote tech kids. So, but I think I did. So, was that like a senior year thing? 
Um, it was the end of our junior year, I believe. Yeah, I think I do remember that a little bit. Um, in our junior year, I was told by a girl who I wanted to date that she wouldn't date me because I was not close enough to God anymore. And that was like a, that was a, that was a shock to me because I too, I still did think of myself at that point as a Christian. Um, and I knew that she was a Christian, but then I could also recognize now, okay, what are the differences between us? Well, I chose not to participate in that quote unquote silent protest because I was no longer comfortable saying no one is allowed to get an abortion. Right. I was no longer comfortable with that. I was no longer comfortable with saying um, a consenting adult should not be able to marry another consenting adult, regardless of their gender identity or uh, anatomical sex. Right. Um, these things were changing. And I don't I guess I don't know why. I mean, I wanted to have this talk with you so that we could talk about, like, what is it that happened that that changed us what is it you know and 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 i don't mean to sound like oh how did we get so amazing it's not that at all but it is oftentimes i find myself thinking of the circumstances that did create who i am and i can't tack down what it was right like i i i know if i had been raised in the community that i would have been born into had my parents home not burned when my mom was eight months pregnant with me that like just that alone would have changed all my friendships would have changed the closeness of my relationships to my family because I would have lived further away from them. Uh, everything, every, every feasible aspect of my life would be different. I might've never met the woman I married because we met in high school. You might um, not have met me, your best friend forever. I, I probably would not have met you. Um, say it, my best, my friend, best friend, friend, my best friend forever. Okay, I didn't want to be like, well, I'll say it, but you're just like, well, I'm actually hanging out with my other best friend. He's off of the <laughs> side of the room here just listening to me. Uh, yeah, what's up, Jeff? What's his name? Oh, I tried to say Jeff, but I said Jeff. <laughs> oh, well, that's a dumb name for a friend. So, yeah, joke's on you. Don't worry about it, Jeff. He's just jealous. Um, so I don't, I, I don't, um, I guess this is where uh, a caveat comes in to some degree. Uh, living here amongst these people is rage-inducing sometimes. Um, I, I just I got a new doctor, uh, and he is from Syria, and he he works in this community. I don't know that he lives here directly, um, but he got his degree from the University of Damascus, um, and is an, just an awesome dude. Um, has an accent, not super, super thick. Okay. Uh, so your and, doctor's your and, new best friend. I see who it is. Yeah. yeah I see. Yeah. And, uh, he's, I, I would say he could be white passing. Like he's very light skinned. Um, so if he's, if he's going about in the community and not speaking to anyone, um, I don't know that he would get negative attention amongst, you know, the bigots and the racists that we live amongst. Um, but I, I, I was talking to him about uh, feeling anxious, and I said, you know, he said, what makes you feel anxious? And I said, um, you know, a lot of things. I pointed out specifics, and I said, and there's just a general anxiety to living here and knowing at, that I'm different from other people. And it wasn't until I said that that it struck me how 
insanely privileged I am <laughs> as a white person who is native to this area to speak to a man from Syria and tell him how how difficult it is for me to be here and know that I feel. And I mean, he didn't he he didn't laugh at me. He didn't scoff. He's like, no, I get it. Like, I do understand. <laughs> and of course he understands. Of course he understands. And then you laugh. Uh, and he was like, nurse, get a load of this guy. He has life so hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it. I guess my my sympathy for the people we live amongst who I am so frequently furious with or sad for or terrified of or all at once, all, all three all at once in many cases, is the fact that you and I could have been those people if something had been different. And I don't know what that thing is. I don't know what did occur that made me change my mind on homosexuality. I don't know what did occur that made me change my mind on, you know, my a very restrictive faith that I was practicing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and I know that going away to college helped push me further from, from liberal to leftist. Um, I think I, I probably would have defended capitalism at the end of my senior year of high school, I think probably I, I can't, I definitely you, had not, you know, read. You go off to college, you get, a, you get a pixie cut and you're just a different person. That's right. Um, I, we did have a teacher who warned us that, you know, you go off to college and they, you know, your professors make you <laughs> stop believing in God and start believing in Karl Marx. Uh, and, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe he was right. I don't know. Um, what about you? What do you? I I've just been talking about my thing this whole time. But so like, I I was honestly raised one hundred percent different than how you were raised. I, I believe I'm not sure where my my dad would have fallen on the spectrum of religion, but I know my mom was raised Catholic, and I know that I didn't go to a church a single day in my life with them, ever. The only time I went to church with my paternal grandmother one time, I I remember I got a prize out of a treasure chest. It's the only thing I remember about that night. Oh yeah, that's uh. Yeah, that's a, a strong Christian tradition is uh, tre- treasure, <laughs> treasure chests and prize. Yeah. I really wanted to open up this part of the my story with uh, I was born into religion where they do the snake thing. What's the snake religion? The snake, um, the snake Christian religion? I Well, I know that Pentecostal people yeah. do a lot of snake stuff. Yeah, I was going to be like, well, I well, was some, born. Some, I, I think there are, I think most, I, I think most Pentecostal folks don't mess with snakes, but I think that the, the the religious people who do mess with snakes, I, I'm pretty sure it's Pentecost. Yeah, so I was born a wild Pentecostal kid. Um, I had 17 pet snakes as a boy. Um, but no, I religion was not a thing that we did when I was a kid. Like, I never had the the God talk, I guess, is what I would be. Nobody was ever like, what do you believe in? I mean, I went to a very small elementary school with like, 60 kids total in the whole school and it was honestly probably the closest thing you could get to a public Christian school because that's that's just who lived in the community and stuff and right did you guys pr- like were there prayers at events and things like no, that um maybe here and there because okay. I don't think any I think if my if I would have came home maybe being one of the least religious people in in my class alone would have been like hey mom the teacher made me pray in school today and she would have just been like oh, okay 
she wouldn't have been like, right. you can't do that. Like, you can't. This is right. a separation. Like, there would have never been that. It would have just been like, we were very just go with the flow people. We didn't like. Sure. It was easier to not stir the pot on things like that. And I, I would say my mom is probably semi-religious now. She probably believes, but she doesn't go to church anymore. I mean, the church they went to before it was kind of small, and I don't think it's holding any. I almost said ceremonies, but services right now. Um, <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> but then I got into like I got into high school and was kind of like the big leagues for me because we started mixing with two other schools and stuff, and I met people who were religious and then talked about being religious. Like you had people like you who we went to like youth groups and stuff. I I think I had gone to a few youth groups with some friends or some girlfriends and stuff. And you're right. It was like, Hey, let's have some fun and let's eat pizza. And then like the second half is when I was like, all right, let's go. And they're like, let's talk about God. And I'm like, I'm really uncomfortable now. <laughs> um, I had an instance one time that put a pretty sour taste in my mouth on the whole idea of religion. Um, somebody who I thought was a friend of mine said something to me. He's like, have you even ever read the Bible? And I was like, no. And then I felt at the time I felt really bad about it. I was like, I did. I've never read the Bible. Like, am I a bad person? Because I haven't, I'm going to chalk it up to probably being an awkward eighth grade kid who didn't really have any friends to begin with. So like, you couldn't get, I couldn't get rid of the toxic people in my life because then I would have nobody in my life. Well, and that's, that's, that's another factor I think too, of being in such a, a rural area. You, like either you make, what is one of the best ways to, to be socially active if, if it, you're not participating in a sport or a play or a club, right? Extreme youth it's group. Youth, it's, it's youth group. Yeah. It's, it's the extreme club. Yeah. Yeah. So like that happened and I would say that was probably maybe the start of the downfall of that friendship. And we, we know the story here both and I'm not going to go into the detail, but then I met you like the next year and we started to hang out. And then I was like, Oh, this is what friends are. And I was like, okay, good. And then you always bring up the fact that you were always harsh to people about your Christianity and judging people. I've, I've never felt that instance from you at any point in my life. I never felt like you were judging me for, I don't know if we ever had the religion talk, but I'd, I never felt judged by it because I can outwardly say I just really just don't believe in anything. Yeah, I, I the the talk. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that I never felt like I could not talk about my faith around you because that probably would have been I mean, with how important it was to me at that time, too. That probably would have been like, oh, well, I can't you know, I can't hang out with Kreps if I can't talk about this, you know, super important part of my life. And I even remember talking to you about. um, About people about a girl and her moral fiber you know why i wanted to date her was what do you remember that her yeah. more which is just oh my god i just cringe just thinking about that but uh, i do remember a time that we were at my old house and um you were like sitting on the you remember i, I had that driveway that was just a hill yeah and i would ride my skateboard down it and then try to like push back up or i would like run back up and then ride back down and I was doing that and you were sitting up on the stoop at the top of the hill. And at one point I got to the top of the hill and I was like, hey, you believe in God, right? And you were like, yeah. And I said, good. And then that was it. <laughs> like that was all that was all that we talked about uh, in terms like I don't I don't I, I also do not remember a lot of, you know, religious talks with you. Hey, I'm going to call it right now. That's a plot twist. I was lying to you. <laughs> 
Very much so. <laughs> well, friendship over. <laughs> Good thing you got that new doctor best friend. <laughs> That's right. Dr. But yeah, and then anyway, sorry. And on the along the lines of like things like homophobia and racism and stuff like that. I had I have a family member who came out as gay. Well, he's been gay for a while, but my parents didn't tell me until I was like 15. And I just remember being like, oh, okay. Like, because I knew it was a big deal, but I knew it shouldn't matter to me because he's still a part of my family that I cared for. Like, why right. do I care what he wants to do? Like, that's that's his life. As long as he's not doing anything crazy, just let the right. guy let him do what he wants. Well, right, and the the big deal part of it for you, for any family member with, uh, or for any person with a family member who is LGBTQIA plus, is simply the fact that their life will be more difficult because of the bigots that they have to interact. Exactly, with. that's why it's right. And if I can make their life easier by being a very accepting person and just being like, hey, I mean, I was fifteen at the time, and they were probably thirty five or forty, so it's not like they were confiding sure. in me in their. <laughs> Escapades, which, <laughs> yeah, no adult should probably ever uh, confide in a fifteen-year-old about their romantic escapades. No, and then period. also growing up, I had a, I had a sister who went to a like a, I don't know, like a boarding boarding school is a weird way to put it, but like she would go to high school away, and then would come home on some weekends and stuff, and she would always bring friends back with her, of, and this school was in a major part of the state. So she would bring back people of all types, you know, black, white, Asian, everything. So I grew up with a lot of people like that in my household and stuff. And I really only had one prerequisite for anybody staying at the house. They just had to play Super Nintendo with me. Played a lot of, <laughs> there was a great Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game for the Super Nintendo that I really enjoyed. Played a lot of that as a kid. I didn't, I don't have that one. Yeah, it's fun. I think it's on the Retro Pie. Yeah, I'll have to play it. Yeah, I wish I could play mine. I'll get to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I don't know. I didn't have anything else to say there. But yeah, I just, I'd, religion was never part of my life, I guess is what I could say. I mean, I, in like towards the end of high school and stuff, I had a, a relationship with a girl and she didn't believe in God for a while, but then did. And I was like, okay, I can, I'll go to church with you. I'll check it out and see what it's like. And then I was like, well, it's not really, it's not really my thing. Like I don't, I can't force myself to do it. Yeah. Like I just didn't, right. I didn't see myself just regularly going there. I've always felt like if I wanted right. to be religious or have a faith, I felt like I'd find it on my own, not have somebody tell me this is what you should believe. Right. And that's, I mean, that's more of like a, a, and again, maybe not qualified to speak on the topic, but the idea of, you know, finding your faith or of discovering what it is that you believe, that's the, you know, you hear people say like, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Right. Right. And that's almost like a joke. I, don't, I, I completely respect people who say that. Um, but like that does kind of get made fun of, but that's kind of what you're talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. Like I know that. If I wanted to look for something, I could probably mm -hmm. find something that I believe in, but I'm very comfortable with who I am and what I believe in, and I've right. surrounded myself with people of like-minded or people that maybe aren't like-minded, but we respect each other's opinions. Sure. 
And that's that's what it should be. Yeah. Um, I think another another thing that and and um, you know, if you want to touch on this too, you feel free. Um, but one of the other things, you know, about growing up in the place that we grew up in, um, you know, I don't remember. We we are in Pennsylvania, uh, very much a union state. That being said. Uh, to walk around anymore, anywhere, um, you just, you see Confederate flags everywhere. Um, and I don't remember that being as much of a thing when we were kids. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they were there, but I don't remember them being as present as they are. Um, but that could have just, that could just be my perception and that I'm more maybe attuned to that now because I recognize 100% it's a racist dog whistle. It's not even a dog whistle. It's literally just a sign that says, Hey, I'm racist. Yeah. I um, think it's, I think it's more so now. I think we probably, they probably wasn't as round as, as much, you know, when we were in high school over 10 years ago at this point, but I'm sure it was there, but now it's kind of like, there's a, not that there wasn't a stigma behind it before, but now there's a, the real stigma behind it. Like, why would you do this in the first place? So like, I see it, I'm like, idiot, right? Jerk idiot, um, man. Like I, like there's a, so when I leave work, I can take two routes. I can take the highway or I can take like some back roads home. Um, the other week I had to drop some papers off for a lady I work with and I went home the back way and it is every other house is Trump sign, Confederate flag, Trump sign, Confederate flag, Trump 2024. He'll be back or something like that. Oh my God. Yeah. And there's a, there's a sign in one of the few towns that I go through. Um, there's just a guy who has a giant pop-up with Trump flags and all this kind of stuff like that. I can't, it's been a long time since I said it, but I, uh, I really want to firebomb that place. I'll say it. So honestly, if that place goes up in flames in the next few days, Hey government, he's just joking. <laughs> I am screwed. I am. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, episode, 13 uh, of Alone in the Boondocks will be introduced as court evidence. <laughs> hey, you can uh, get your new best friend, the doctor, to be the co-host. Yeah. yeah I'll give you all I'll the password it. information Jeff. that I have and stuff. Are you good with that, Jeff? All right, cool. He's cool with it. Um, so I, I um, the other aspect, I think, is, you know, the... There's... there's, there's there's one I might have been saved from. There's one that I don't think I ever dipped my feet into a whole lot. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, there was some natural misogyny that came from the brand of Christianity that I was practicing. Um, but I was raised in a home by my mother, my grandmother, and two of my aunts. Um, my, my grandpa lived there with us, but besides that, I, I really didn't have a whole lot of male influence in my formative years. You were basically um, raised by the golden girls. Yeah. Yeah. More or less, um, l slightly less, uh, um, racy. Yeah. Less ra <laughs> Thank God for me. Slightly <laughs> less racy. Um, but yeah, so I think that I, I didn't, you know, one of the things that I, I bemoan frequently, um, in our, in our community is that women are demanded to meet. I mean, and this is everywhere. This is the world. Unfortunately, it's a man's world. And, and, um, 
you know, women are demanded to meet a standard that the men who seek to, you know, be their mates themselves don't even meet. And in our our community, that looks like, you know, men who demand that a, a woman cook and clean and be in shape and always be, you know, have makeup on and all these things. Meanwhile, you know, they haven't shaven in weeks. They bathe every other day. They wear muddy boots. And and I know this sounds like a stereotype of rural life. There's some real accuracy to this. Um, yeah, you kind of hit the nail right on the head there. Like, and it, and it's and it's it. This is one out of every other relationship that you see in our communities. Is these relationships where uh, I don't know. Uh, a lot of girls in this community are raised that, oh, well, that's just how men are. Oh, well, that's just, you know, you know, of course he, he worked hard. He's going to come home and he's going to sit on the couch and I'm going to make dinner and I'm going to, of course that's going to happen. Or of course he took a pass at me, uh, you know, before we started dating, um, you know, of course he grabbed me. That's fine. That's just how men are. Um, there, there's a culture in rural America, there's a culture in the world. I, again, please don't think I'm glossing over how difficult life is for women, period. But women in a rural community, it is like some of these things that in other areas that are more, uh, you know, aware of how how toxic these these things are. In, in our rural community, they're looked at almost as rites of passage that every young woman has to go through, um, you know, to land herself a man so that she can have herself a family. Um, so I would say, I, I think for the most part, and again, I do say, um, at, you know, as an evangelical Christian who I was demonizing more frequently if I was looking at people who were having sexual relationships, were more frequently the girls. I I know that. Um, I I can't remember, you know, thinking about a guy and being like, oh man, what a slut, right? But I definitely thought and said those things about girls. Um, So I am not guiltless of the misogyny that is present in our community. I'm just saying my brand was different and my brand came from the religious angle. and then the third, the third school. Did you want to? Did you have anything that you wanted to talk about that particularly? No, I mean it's something that I feel like I didn't see much of either as a like growing up and stuff. And I like to think that I didn't really make any of those judgment calls as being a misogynist. I'm sure I accidentally have done it because it's it's there's no excuse for it. I shouldn't have done it, but it it happened. I'm a better person now. I know that that's not how things work. Um, but I grew up in a in a household that it was pretty pretty even even like my dad did a lot of the cooking and stuff like that. I did the grocery shop like he did the grocery shopping and stuff like that. It was never kind of like a, this is a woman's job. A woman is in the kitchen. A woman cleans and all that stuff like that. Right. Um, and then the third influence is is the racist influence that I was I was going to start with. And and again, I will say I I was not raised in a racist home. Um, my mom, uh, as I mistold the story before, di- you know, we had talks like the the difference between you and a black person has nothing to do with your ability to get along with them. It's the life you've experienced. It's it's a more difficult life to be a person of color. Um, 
and I had an aunt who was black and I had cousins who were black. And, um, again, you hear that used frequently as, oh, I couldn't, I can't be racist. I have a black friend. Oh, I can't be racist. Um, my uncle's married to a black woman. Oh, I can't be like, um, and that probably was part of a construct in my, my head too. But, um, I remember the first time I heard a kid use the N word, uh, and I had never heard it before. Like it wasn't, that was not like, I don't mean that it wasn't used in my home. It wasn't used in my home, nor was it used in any of the social situations that my, my family would have ever allowed me to participate in. Um, so when I heard it for the first time from another kid at school, I didn't know what he was talking about. And it wasn't until, you know, there were some context clues. He was talking about another student who was in fact white, but was darker complected. Um, and it wasn't until I heard him berate him further that I knew what was going on. Even still to a kid who had never seen bold faced, uh, racism. It's hard to call that. It's clearly from a racist angle, but he was being racist to another white person. Uh, which is confusing. Um, I still, that, the, that word and the way the kid spoke, the way the kid characterized that, um, I don't have a whole lot of vivid memories from friggin' fourth grade, <laughs> but that one stands out to me. Like that was a, that was a big thing. Um, and I would have told you every step of the way that I was opposed to racism. Um, you know, I don't know that we knew the term anti-racist or anything at that point, but I would have told you I was opposed to racism. However, fast forward uh, to, you know, our junior high years. Um, and I and I, I won't hang it squarely on any one you know piece of media that we were consuming. Um, but we had a few classmates who were um, uh, Hispanic and Latinx. Yeah. Um, we had a few uh, schoolmates who were. Um, black or, or biracial, um, and identified black. Uh, and I heard what other people said to them. I heard what other people said about them and the number of times I stood up for them or said something is the minority of cases, the, the, the tiniest minority of cases. Um, we heard people tell racist jokes we were good friends with people who, as they got more comfortable with you, had no problem being openly and blatantly racist. Um, and I think that for me, two pieces of media that I was far too immature to consume but did and somehow thought, oh, you know, now I, I have the tools to make, you know, jokes that are clearly from a racist angle. But, you know, they're just jokes were... Uh, the Chappelle show, which is brilliant, fantastic right, absolutely. show, but, uh, a rural, you know, 13, 14 year old who is not in any way primed, who has not done the research, who knows nothing about the black experience. Right. Um, I don't know why I'm laughing at the Chappelle show because I don't get most of these references. All I get are, Oh, that's a joke about, uh, a black guy who's addicted to crack, right? Right. Or something like that. Yeah, a... 
and then those jokes become inserted in our language. And, and the other, the other, which I think is far less esteemed than the Chappelle Show, is uh, the um, that Carlos Mencia show, Mind of Mencia. Yes, yes, and and that show alone taught me epithets I had never heard before. And again, um, I I thought then that, you know, if you put these in jokes, it, it does seem so strange. And I think that today, most of our most of the kids that, that I work with um, who would have been at that same age, I want to believe that the the um, the knowledge of racial issues is more pervasive so that a white kid wouldn't hear a joke told by Carlos Mencia about Hispanic people and then think, Oh, I can pie, I can parrot that to my Hispanic friend, which is what I did. Um, but I remember doing that and I re- I did not have, I had no ill intent. There was no ill intent at all, but I know that by repeating, and I don't even remember the specific joke. Um, but by repeating that joke to my friend, I hurt him. And I saw that hurt in his eye because this wasn't his friend Drew telling him a joke he had heard on Comedy Central. This was another white person coming at him using terms that are that exist originally and solely for the purpose of dehumanizing and harming him uh, to insult his identity, to mock his culture uh, to make him less than human. And I didn't intend for that, but that's exactly what I did to him. Uh, and I, I guess I have to put my thumb on that moment in time too. And I, I think that was in ninth grade, ninth or 10th grade. That was a moment in time that something, I, I have to think that something shifted in me because I saw the hurt I caused in my friend immediately upon doing something like that. Um, and, and, and once you, once you see that from that side, once there's any type of awakening that you've been a bigot, that you have been, you know, a religious zealot that harmed other people. Once you realize the impact it's having on people, I guess the ball just keeps rolling. And then you live amongst people who are still practicing those things. And again, I, I'm a hypocrite. I've I've failed at these things time and time again. Um, uh, but you live amongst these people. And I, I have a coworker who intentionally and on principle misgenders and dead names are trans students uh, all the time, all the time. Um, and she sits on. Um, the student assistance program uh, council with me. And every time she does it, it's like a thing in my head then that I'm like, this was what I was part of. And by remembering it, by seeing its presence, by seeing how malignant it is, it pushes me further into that place of compassion and that place of I am a straight white man in a rural community where there are very few allies for women, for people of color, for members of the LGBTQIA plus community, um, uh, for people who are uh, 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 not neurotypical, um, for people who have disabilities. It, it is 
I know nothing of their struggle except when I was the person who was hurting them. Um, and I think that is how you become a leftist in rural America. You either are fortunate enough to be born into a home where those values are instilled in you, as I, as I hope to instill those values in my daughter, or you wake up because you recognize that by insisting on your own prejudices, by insisting that you know and someone else doesn't, by insisting that it's just harmless, but you see the harm, if you're able to observe that, it will change you. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, what makes you and I leftists now is that we saw the issues we had growing up and saw the mistakes we made. And instead of brushing those aside and saying, ah, that's just who we are, we learn from our mistakes. And that's where we are now. We're not saying we're perfect. 99% of the people have been in the same shoes that we've been in. We've, we've made the joke that wasn't a joke to somebody and then you feel really bad about it afterwards. And then you, you take right. a long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and you realize that's not okay. Put your, you put yourself in that person's shoes and it's not always great to be the butt of the joke. I mean, it's, it's fun to make fun of your friends and stuff. It's fun to have a good time. And as a person who, whose life consists of jokes 99% of the time, sometimes it happens and you make the joke and it's, you're just, you say it and you're like, I should have never said that. And then you, you, the difference between, I think us and then someone who is still racist today is that you can see the flaws in yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we um, live around a lot of hillbillies, though, and they can't see that. Sorry, <laughs> is hillbillies a good word now or a bad word? Um, I think, well, I don't know. I think it, it's, I don't know. Redneck, I, I see, I see we're, taking, we're taking rednecks back, which I like. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I think, I think hillbillies is still a pejorative. Probably. Sorry for the good hillbillies out there. Sorry if you're like I'm a hillbilly and I, if you like your flag, you're flying the Black Lives Matter and the uh, rainbow flag and stuff. Like, sorry for the good hillbillies. I don't mean to generalize. Yeah. I, I, wonder, um, I wonder where that term came from, hillbillies. You're smart. Where did it come from? I don't know that. I don't know. Let's look. What oh. you doing, hillbilly? Hillbilly. Origin, early 20th century from Hill and Billy, the pet form of the given name William. Uh, according to Wikipedia, is a term often derogatory for people who dwell in rural mountainous areas in the United States, primarily in southern Appalachia and the Ozarks. The term was later used to refer to people from other rural and mountainous areas west of the Mississippi River, too, particularly those of the Rocky Mountains and near the Rio Grande. The first known instances of hillbilly in print were in the Railroad Trainmen's Journal, an 1899 photograph of men and women in West Virginia labeled Camp Hillbilly, and a 1900 New York Journal article containing the definition, a hillbilly is a free and untrammeled white citizen of Alabama who lives in the hills, has no means to speak of, dresses as he can, talks as he pleases, drinks whiskey when he gets it, and fires off his revolver as the fancy takes him. So... Roll Tide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's a good, that's a good history lesson for us there today. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, that's that's where we are today. I, I recognize, uh, and we. I mean, I, I feel like every time I listen to one of my episodes, I say something, and I'm like, that's problematic. Like what what you're saying is, uh, you know, potentially harmful, um, and it comes generally from a position of ignorance or. And if, if not a genuine ignorance, you know, a lack of knowing in and of myself, um, sometimes my, my mouth moves faster than my head and then I say something. And then afterwards I'm like, you didn't phrase that the right way. And now, and it sounds problematic because of how you said it. So, Hey, that's every um, time I talk on this show too. Just, just no. And I, I, I'm just offering, I'm just making that statement because I, I, I think we handled this well, but it, uh, you know, on a listen back, I don't want to, I don't want to hear this and be like, Oh, this was just, you know, two dudes sitting around self aggrandizing, uh, that, you know, they're so woke, even though they live amongst a bunch of dumb hicks, you know, that's <laughs> not what I'm saying at all. I, uh, I am sympathetic of the ignorance that we live amongst, uh, while still recognizing how insanely damaging it is and how difficult it is to pull yourself out of that when it's all you know. Um, yeah. I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing we ever say that could possibly be misconstrued comes from a place of hate. Never right. my intentions here. Right. Um, I have a recommendation. Okay. It's kind of... Um, I think it's not very, uh, well tied into most of the recommendations that I've given on this, on this podcast in the past. Um, there is, a a British panel show called Taskmaster, um, which I, I'm almost, uh, hesitant to even tell you about cause I don't want you to go watch it because once COVID is over, uh, my wife has decided that we're going to have a Taskmaster party where we force our friends to go through many of these tasks and then we score them on them. Um, Wait, so like, are they, are they hard tasks or like, what are they like? Do I have to build stuff? No, I'm not great some at of building. Them, so like there was, there's one in like the second season where the, the so the, each season has five different comedians on it for, or radio presenters or, you know, whatever. Um, and in the, there's a one task in the second season where they make them order a pizza without and it has to be a specific way but they can't say certain words so they have to order an extra large cheats or an extra extra large pizza without cheese or sauce that is a vegetarian pizza that they get bacon and ham on but they cannot say bacon ham cheese sauce extra large or pizza uh oh i so, got that one in the bag i got the, those kitchen terms i'm good i win that one so i'm, call, I'm yeah, calling myself it, it, early favorite for that one it's it, they'll do like that or um uh there was one where there they were in a park and there's or no even better there's there were three exercise balls and they had to carry them to the top of this hill and it was maybe like 200 feet and the hill was not super steep but it was on a windy day and obviously you can't carry three exercise balls at once um I don't know anyway it's really funny uh the two comedian the, the creator of it is uh named Alex Horn um, and then the, he is the co-host with a guy named Greg Davies. Uh, and it's just friggin' hilarious. It's, um, this would have been like peak early COVID watching if I would have known about it then, cause it is very bingeable. Um, but it's hilarious. And for whatever reason, 
uh, it was on, I think it was on Mike or Channel Four. I can't remember in on in uh in uh, the UK. Um, and for whatever reason, it's not on a streaming service. They just uploaded them for free to YouTube. So oh. anyone yeah, I was going to ask them. you where you can watch it at. Yeah. Um, but if you watch it, I mean, start with season one and uh, and go from there. But yeah, it's it's hilarious. It is not. Uh, this has nothing to do with politics or advocacy. It's just good entertainment, and it's kind of. I mean, it's it's junk food entertainment. It's 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 cheap, but I feel still like British game show reality TV things are still some somehow slightly better than the American counterparts. You're like, oh, um, look at him. He's running up to him. <laughs> they did. Uh, I I did see that they tried to translate it to uh, U.S. market. Um, and the host was uh, Reggie Watts from oh, okay. Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah. Uh, but it f- apparently flopped. And, like, one of the comedians on it was, like, Lisa Lampanelli. Ugh. That was the only one I knew. I I'm not a Lisa yeah. Lampanelli fan. Yeah. That's, yeah. I'm, not either. That's, I feel like, yeah, she's just not, like, I don't mind offensive comedy and stuff like that. I find some of it funny. But she is just, she's offensive for offensive sake. Like, yeah. Like she is like a get a rise out of you comedian. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that style of comedy. Right. Do you know well, who else? Um, I'm not a fan of very different style of comedy, but I'm also not a fan of um, uh, Kevin James. That's a that's an actual lie because everybody likes Kevin James. Don't make me call my wife up here and ask her if she likes Kevin James. <laughs> I believe. I believe she'll she say yeah. Kevin James. She'll say yeah. Um. Yeah, anyway. Do you have a recommendation? I do actually have a recommendation. Thanks for finally getting to me. I had to talk about the freaking Taskmaster all night. Do you know who they should have got John Cena to host the Taskmaster? John Cena's big in all markets. Oh, okay. Yeah. 16-time world champion. What's your recommendation? (laughs) Uh, It's Paul Blart, Mall Cop 1 and 2. The second one's not as good as the first one, but you'll get a good... It's a good... It's a good junk food watch okay i'll take that no i'm just kidding i've actually been watching king of the hill for the first time i've never seen i've never seen king of the hill you really i was joking at the beginning when i said that you are kevin james number one fan but actually it seems like you might be kevin james number one fan why because i'm talking about king of the no not no king of the hill not king of queens oh yeah okay no king okay really good okay sorry now you're just i'm an idiot now you're thinking about kevin james too much yeah, no. King of the Hill, King of the Hill is brilliant. Yeah, it really is. So, um, all right. Well, my name is Andrew. And my name's Kreps. And we are alone in the Boondocks. I bet Kevin James could figure out alchemy.